Welcome to a Couch Divided podcast where secular psychology meets a Christian worldview with Dr. Robin Hall and Nick Thomas. All right, Nick, sit back and relax. And if you can't, we need to talk about that. <laughs> Prepare to be couched. Welcome, everybody, to a Couch Divided podcast. I'm Nick Thomas, and alongside with me, the wonderful, most beautiful girl, Robin, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Robin Hall. I feel like you should start practicing. Yeah, my, what you're my adjectives. Say. Yeah. I, I like it spontaneous. I mean, I don't mind the spontaneity, but like, I'm, I find myself like, break, what is he going to say? Is I can't even say spot spontaneity. Spontaneity. <laughs> spontaneity. Whatever. Everybody whatever. has words like that. <laughs> yes. Hello. Hello, Nick. I am Dr. Robin Hall. And we also have um, someone else here with us today. Yes, we have our good friend and loyal companion. <laughs> I don't have any adjectives for Matthew. <laughs> Matthew Hunter, everybody. Hello. Hello. I love it. Yeah, there you go. Yay. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh. <laughs> he doesn't have any headphones on, so you couldn't hear the clapping noise, but we all just give you a, oh. a, a very cheer. Yeah, that's right. The sound effect was like applause welcoming you. Okay, next. So, Robin, I just wanted to say yes. that Joy says hi. Oh, Joy says hi. And she wanted me to say that while we were recording. Oh, I love her so. So, so we haven't actually approached... Um, Joy, your wife, who is one half of the Sheologians crew. Um, for those of you guys that know Sheologians, we should know Sheologians. Um, about doing a crossover episode, but we hope to do that this year. So hi, Joy. She is a never-ending encyclopedia of true crime knowledge. Oh my gosh. So that I, would be a good Yes. Crossover. And like also right up my alley, right? Like that's kind of Joy and I's love language. <laughs> Uh, the love language is true crime. <laughs> psychopathology. You know. We were talking about we'll the other you. day the irony that the only clean thing to watch on TV nowadays is like true crime murder shows. Which is oh. weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, because like at least they try and do according to the, I mean, they're a little biased, some of them, but they try and present facts, right? You don't see tons of agenda the way, yeah, it's really bad. I'm going to give you a, a blood splatter analysis little uh, thing from Dexter. Um, I'm not a blood spatter. Whatever. Did you like Dexter? I actually only watched like three or four episodes of Dexter. And I like Dexter. Whatever. <laughs> I watched. Yeah. Last season stunk. I'm more of like a true crime podcast girl. Um, I've done so much work in like trauma and counseling that, um, I have like real life videos and photographs and good. good old archives. So, like, I find myself less interested in watching documentaries around true crime and more interested in listening to the stories oh really yeah i just like to consume it that way but to each their own you know yeah 
Well, um, <laughs> before we actually get in, into everything, uh, please go to our website at couchdivided.com. You can hear all of our episodes on there and give you a chance to donate. That helps keep the lights on. Thank you to everybody that has donated uh, so far. Remember at couchdivided.com where you can catch us on any other platform. Please share this with your friends. It helps us out. Yeah, tell and, everybody uh, about us. Yeah, and we appreciate those who uh, uh, have stuck with us. Uh, we get a lot of downloads. We get a lot of listens, and it's uh, your loyalty that uh, um, that we had, we do appreciate, and it uh, makes it fun for us too as well. Yeah, it's super cool, and yeah. we love talking to you. So please continue to reach out. It's super fun. Amen. That was Amen. our yeah. That was our housekeeping stuff, right, Nick? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to get that out of the way. Right. So because I we feel do like it. we're building this mystery around Matthew. Yeah. Because like, we have Matthew Hunter. What what is Matthew? I know here, who's or, or Matthew and why is well we know he's Joy's husband. We know that fact. He's just our third mic. <laughs> That's it. What you guys don't know is that actually Matthew's been here for each episode. He just doesn't say anything. He uh, like yeah, yeah. He's, he's, been, he's so. been lingering in the background. No, we have Matthew Hunter on here. Uh, he is, well, I can call you an expert, right? Would oh, yes. you accept that? An expert on uh, wilderness survival and anything wilderness. Oh. Um, I mean, that's an understatement probably. Um, but, uh, Matthew, tell us a little bit about yourself, what it is uh, that yeah, you do and what it is. Yeah. So my name is Matthew Hunter. I teach wilderness survival skills and I teach about <clears throat> plants. So edible plants specifically, or how you can use plants to your benefit in practical sort of outdoor, mm -hmm. you know, places. Um, I have a business called Legacy Wilderness Academy, which is a Christian family owned business. Amen. Woo! Where right now I am developing online courses to sell to, well, really anyone. I'm sort of targeting the homeschool family, like high school age homeschoolers. Right, that's your audience. But the course was really built, my wilderness survival course was really built for anyone. It was really built for adults. But oh. then I found out that most adults don't want to buy it. <laughs> right. But a bunch of high school kids do. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> we'll switch it. We'll switch it up then. We'll adapt it. Do you think that's because adults are afraid to... I may maybe stuck in their ways or, you know, yeah. if they haven't gone out into the wilderness yet, they're never going to maybe. kind of thing. Hmm. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, I was in ROTC and I remember actually being interested in that stuff when I was in there because we had to go to, um, uh, you know, like a wilderness camp kind of thing and do what military do, guys do, you know, in the wilderness. Uh, I had a stick of magnesium and they gave me uh, something to ignite it with. And then they said, go to town <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, I had to learn how to tie knots and things like that. that and so fun. it was really cool because when you think about that, uh, you know, that, that, that concept of survival, that there's something that primitively touches uh, uh, you, uh, you know, um, and says, you know, this was necessary at one point. It continues to be necessary. And so I'm glad that we have Matthew here to yeah. explain that necessity. Uh, necessity. Spontaneity and necessity. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, we are a couch divided. So we always, you know, speak about, you know, the psych psychological matters in this. And there's a lot of psychology that goes uh, in here. So we hope this is will be interesting uh, with you. But, um, you know. Um, <clears throat> right. Well, so to summarize, <laughs> to bridge that, we have Matthew here with us today um, because we were we thought it would be cool to talk about the psychology of survival. Mm -hmm. um, so we've talked a lot about post-traumatic stress, anxiety. We're not going to talk about the aftermath of survival today. Today we're, we're going to talk about like the actual crisis, right? which, mm. um, and before, before like, the crisis, before the crisis. Really, yeah, we have a lot yeah. to speak about that too as well. Um, so we we are super interested in this. Um, we're sure that you guys will be too. Um, before we started recording, we were kind of joking around, 
like, why is it that we're so fascinated by survival circumstances and Mm -hmm. by people that, you know, like overcome incredible odds and live through really nutty circumstances. Um, And I think, I mean, the psychology of that is really, really fascinating, but. And we always incorporate ourselves, man, what would I do in that situation or how could I even. I know. And uh, it would just, it, it, at one point, it, it allows you to know how precious life is. And then at another point uh, to how, you know, uh, what how God designed us is to what, thrive and to survive uh-huh. and, and everything that goes into that, too, as well. So. so, yeah, we are not experts on this, but our friend Matthew Hunter yes. is. So and, where to begin? Uh, well, what you guys were going to plug. Hit, so check out his school. It, it's amazing. Legacy yeah. Wilderness Academy. Mm-hmm. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram. Are you uh, YouTube, Facebook, YouTube. or just my website, LegacyWildernessAcademy.com, where you can read uh, my blog, which, well, I really just started a blog, but I post about, like, wild food and medicine uh, for, well, sort of focusing on the Southwest region, but really anywhere. I'm not limited limiting the plants to that. Right. Um, but and, you live here, and you study yeah. the plants here, so mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, and then YouTube for lots of plant videos, and I don't have a whole lot of survival stuff released. I have a whole lot that I've made, but yeah. most of it is in the course, so I haven't released a ton. But Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm. But, but check out his course. Yeah, it'd be worth it, especially like homeschooling families. Curriculum is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so app like that, like plugging, um, check out his videos, guys. One of the first, I've known Matthew for many years now. And one of the first things that we did together, well, I watched him start a fire, a friction fire, right? That's what Mm -hmm. it's called. So that's like with nothing but the things you would find like Mm. out in the wilderness, right? Right. Mm. Um, and it was so cool. It's, I still remember it. That was up in Sedona, right? That was, or like Oak I think Creek? That was, wasn't that at the Salt River hmm. somewhere? Oh, it might have been at the Salt River. I don't River. actually remember where we were. I don't either. I actually don't either. Never mind. We were somewhere. We were somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Matthew is not just a, like a studied expert in this. He he practices what he researches. Right. So he's always out um, traipsing around and finding I, things i've seen some of your stuff it's amazing i i was watching you know uh on one of your lessons uh you know a student identifying the plants mm-hmm. that you taught him How cool. and uh he was actually acing it i mean all over the place he didn't second guess it just boom this is this this is that this is this i can eat this i don't eat that kind of thing yeah so for our, our online course i have an online course foraging 101 and that one's a live course taught through kepler education which is a Christian classical school for high school students. And they had to memorize a hundred plants, edible plants in their region by, you know, they didn't find all of them, but by at least by picture and name and the uses. And so one of the, my students was able to pretty much get almost all 100. And then throughout the duration of the course, he ate like 20 new plants mm. oh, that he found so cool. in his area, like actually consumed them, you know, <laughs> on his plate, eating them like, brand new plants that most people have never even heard of. So <laughs> that was, was the a, coolest. Yeah, it was a it was a really fun course. How wow. old was how old was that student? Can you tell us? He was like 17, probably. Oh, that is so neat. Wow. How and like, okay, so now, like what a great leap into our topic. If that kid found himself like stranded somehow in the wilderness near where he lives, he knows what 
20 new plants at least. Yeah. Well, he's, and he's taking my wilderness survival course. So he's just, I he's mean, set. all around. Yeah, he's good to go. <laughs> um, that's so cool. I wish I had time to do them myself because I think that would be so much fun to like, just to learn it. I yeah, think, I mean, I know. if I ever catch myself in that situation, you know, they always say to bring like an emergency kit in your car, especially when you live in the desert because oh. you break down in, in dire situations. And I never do. You know what I mean? I hardly ever drink water and I need to drink more water. But if I were to go out into the wilderness, uh, I think I'd be. So like, the first screwed. survival situation yeah. we're going to talk about is one right here. Yeah. Yeah. And right. Nick is dehydrated. Yes, exactly. The only friction fire that I've ever <laughs> came encountered to. <laughs> Required gold bond, you know. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh Lord, save us! Well, right, it, right there, it already is making me think of one of the biggest misconceptions about wilderness survival. There you is go. that you have to be way out in the wilderness for it to happen. Oh yeah. So the three deaths that happened in the wilderness in our area last summer, there was three wilderness deaths from heat stroke. So okay. people went out and... We're in Arizona, for those of you guys that don't remember. Yes. So Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. So in Maricopa County, there was three heat stroke-related deaths in wilderness areas. But two of those wilderness areas were hardly even wilderness. So one of them was Camelback Mountain, mm. which is in Phoenix City limits. Urban. Yes. Yeah. I mean, every part on the whole trail, you can look down and see the city around you. Yeah. Well, mm. through the smog. Through the smog. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's right dead center of the city, yeah. Right. So that one made nationwide news. I think most people are familiar with that case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The name of the girl is slipping. I can, yeah, I, I don't can, remember I that, but I remember it. the it was, story. You said it was last yeah. year. It was the one who flew in, and her boyfriend was a police officer, mm. and she ended up having to turn back and never made it to the car. Oh, and we're, we're talking about a hike that can be completed within a few hours. Wow. Um, um, oh, this is Angela Tremonte. Yes. Um, is that the one I'm talking about? I think so. August 28th, to, uh, 2021. Death of missing Camelback Mountain hiker ruled right. accidental. That mm-hmm. So that yeah. one made nationwide news because. But apparently that's not the, there was an also another guy that died on Camelback from heat stroke in 2014. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing those stories yeah. a lot abundantly, especially when we had the record uh, temperature here in the early nineties when right. it reached like 125 or, or something. something. Like that. Yeah, yeah. It was outrageous. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. last summer was, or I'm sorry, was this two, two, summer, two, summers, two ago. summers ago? This was two summers ago, which was like a major. We broke like crazy record heat yeah. records for like number of days over a hundred degrees in mm. a year. Right. It longest was, amount of time without rain. And yeah. It was like crazy. Oh, it was really, really um, hot. And then another one happened somewhere in Scottsdale in like a little sort of urban wilderness area. Like it was like a little mini trail system. And that this, was last year too? That was last year. Okay. And this this was just a elderly, I don't know elderly, maybe like 50s, mm-hmm. not even really elderly, couple that like split apart on the trail. Middle-aged. Yeah, middle-aged. And heat stroke somehow she got heat stroke or oh, got wow. I don't know if she got turned around or and then the third one was out in the superstition okay uh the superstitions which is the this actual wilderness yeah that's more like real wilderness but it's still like you go I mean I was hiking up in the superstitions like within probably a month yeah you know I go there all mm. the time it's very, it's really accessible from the city but it is on the outside of like the main part of the metropolis of mm. Phoenix and all the suburbs so um, like the superstition range gets really, really rural. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing about all three of these is they started the day just like any other day. And by the end of the day, we're dead. Wow. So it wasn't like this long overnight ordeal. It wasn't, it was heat stroke 
cases that, you know, a lot of people will say like, oh, you can go three days without water. And but I, in, in here, you first, well, you can't even go really three days without water here. But even water aside, <laughs> you can't even go one day. Because of the heat. It, it, with the heat, if you're out active and, you know, everything without water. So I think the, the common theme was that they didn't have water. Um, at least a couple of them didn't have water. I think all three of them were not from the Phoenix area. Okay. So they weren't really probably familiar with the How level hot of excess gets. heat. Um, but they all just went, they were all going out for a day hike. So like a multi-hour or even like a couple hours day hike. Hmm. And that's so. The, right. The, like the, a normal activity that you would do. Right. So the idea is that like wilderness survival is like this one in a million thing that happens where there's yeah. wolves and you're, <laughs> right, you're on like right. a rural kayaking yeah. trip or like a plane, like your planes <laughs> going over Alaska and your bush plane. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I have to out myself as that is exactly the circumstance that I imagine I am like lost in the Canadian Rockies. Like my helicopter went down or yeah. something. And now I'm like going to fight grizzly bears with my bare hands. That's, right. that's my worst case. Survival. Right. When in reality is, is much more mundane. It's much more like, like one of the ones uh, when my survival course started last year, uh, I always like bring up like recent wilderness deaths to kind of put it in perspective. Right. And one of the deaths was like this, like 20 something year old Instagrammer, who was like snowshoeing on this trail that should she should oh, have been back. Oh, I think back. I heard about that. This was in in BC. Yes, hmm. I did hear about that. And I she didn't. basically should have been back within one day and somehow got turned around, was able to call her boyfriend who was like not even in remotely in the area. She right. could have called 911 yeah. or whatever it is here. in Canada, yeah. So that was one mistake, but then she just basically froze to death that night because she couldn't make it out. Oh she got turned gosh. around and couldn't make it out. Ugh. And we're, you know, we're talking about a hike that should have been like what four hours, Simple. six hours round trip, something like that. It wasn't, it wasn't like an all day hike. Like it wasn't a multi day. I mean, hike, yeah, you know. And a lot of, and you'll see, I have. So I actually have statistics on how people die in the wilderness, which I think will shock a lot of people. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. What so, does that mean about me? <laughs> that I'm so excited to hear these. I don't know, man. They're just putting me in a When you say six-hour hike, and I go, that's a long time. Well, remember, <laughs> remember, most people are not like us. Most people are in shape. And right. So oh, okay. Can, all right. They all can right, handle right. a six-hour hike. Yeah. Because like a, a half hour, I'm like, all right, I can do that. When my dad was a Boy Scout and my grandpa was leading the troop with him and my uncle, they multiple times a year would do multi-day hikes. Oh, my goodness. In the superstitions, they did um, once a year. They were in the Sierra Nevadas, like multiple days, you know, where you pack all your food and water. There was, I think, base camps, but like 10, 14 days. And I'm thinking like, I don't know that I could psychologically handle. No, I don't even like my stairs. I, well, we know that Matthew could handle being detached from the grid like for that long because he's well, definitely done it. I, I mean, probably I don't have, I'm not in shape like I used well. to be. <laughs> I, I have all the skills minus the most important skill, the which muscle. is being in like, a great, the greatest shape of my life or yeah, something. The physical conditioning, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah, which that can be remedied. Yes. Relatively quickly. Right. You condition. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm so, yes, go on. Okay, go so on. there was a study in, I think it was 1995, where eight different national parks um, in California were looked at, and all of the injuries, illnesses, and deaths were recorded. And so the study is called, like, morbidity and mortality in the wilderness oh, okay so it's really cool and they also looked at the activities that people were doing when they got into accidents the age 
and the gender, which sort of reveals some interesting yeah. stuff. Mm. Yeah. Like, you know, how many people reported dizziness? Yeah. Mostly women. Sure. How many people had heart attacks? Obviously, mostly older people. How many people had like insect reactions? The average age was like 17 or something. Oh, like that. yeah. Wow. Okay. So that makes it, sense. It, it kind of it's interesting when you start looking at it. But what it found was that the number, well, the three top like biggest causes of deaths were heart disease okay. in the wilderness, drowning, and falling. Oh. Okay, so I'm curious about the heart disease. So like that's they basically... they attract a parasite or... No, 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 like yeah. heart, like... Like they aren't cardiac prepared, oh, okay. prepared for yeah. the... What you were pointing out, Nick. They the, like roast beef, they and then they went to, out to the wilderness. They shouldn't so have started they were over. Hour, right? They were over 50, probably, or over okay. 45. Just couldn't handle that. And that's, just yeah. got, you know, a couple thousand feet higher in elevation than they're used to, maybe wanted to kind of keep up with the mm. family, didn't want to be the one to slow things down and... Yeah, mm-hmm. it's sad. It is. But that goes to show that the physical conditioning is one of the number one top wilderness killers mm-hmm. is getting into a situation and then and being physically fit. unprepared. Right. Wow. Just you just yeah. you're just your physical fitness isn't there. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. probably one of the number one things. Um, and then obviously motor vehicle accidents were one of the highest, which is mm-hmm. within yeah, the park. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. OK, that makes sense. So even within the parks, like hitting a moose or hitting oh. another car, or I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe not a moose, but. I mean, I've known people who have really bad accents. So it's a lot of things you don't really think about. Sure. Like you don't think, oh, I'm going on a family vacation. I'm going to wreck my vehicle in this. Or get a heart attack. Or like right. it's things yeah. you don't think about. So those aside, I don't really teach how to avoid those. Well, That's mm. not my there are, sphere. So that's so, okay. I was in Yellowstone in 2019 in September. Mm-hmm. And it was like the most magical experience in the entire world. I loved it there. We like came around a bend. We entered through the like Idaho side, so mm-hmm. through the like eastern side, um, and there was a like a bunch of bison, okay, including one that was on the road. Mm. And the car in front of us had stopped. It was just a little like um, regular, I don't know, like a little Kia, right? Stopped, and the three passengers were out of the car, walking toward the bison. Ugh. Okay, so. Like, not a vehicle accident. That's what it you, like, reminded me of it. But just as they were, like, crossing the street towards this thing, a park ranger came up and, like, used his, blow, like, his blow horn uh-huh. Get away to order them, them yeah. back into the car, which was hilarious. Um, and it scared the crap out of them. And the, and the, and the, the bison, like, could have, like, was undisturbed by any of what yeah. was happening. But, right, stupidity right. is... Yes, sometimes a, a problem. Well, that's another that's sort of that is a problem. But another misconception that I like to point out is because a lot of people, especially guys, tend to be like, well, I don't need wilderness training because I'm already experienced. I'm not dumb or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. These things we tell ourselves, which may or may not be true. Um, <laughs> well, that's what Paul says. If anybody thinks of himself uh, and he's not, he's he's deceived. You right. know, he's he deceives himself. So how much deception goes into, you know. Sure. Yeah. The male I mean, mind when they go out there. Deception goes, self-deception goes into getting into accidents. So don't get me wrong. Most people who get into wilderness survival accidents, it was preventable. Right. Now, but that being said, it's not because that person was always negligent. A lot of times it's because they had honest ignorance. Sure. But sure, sure. that being said, a lot of some wilderness survival accidents, it doesn't matter how experienced you are, how much you know, how much you prepared. I mean, I was telling Joy the other day, like, 
people have died from blizzards who were mountain men for their whole lives for yeah. 50 right. years. And yeah. then they go to walk to a friend's house 10 miles away and they get caught in a blizzard and that's it. Mm. So a lot of times, you know, you, what makes you good at avoiding wilderness accidents is realizing that no matter how good you get, it can still happen sure. to you. Yeah. Oh, it's so crazy. It gives me goosebumps. Well, it makes Joy nervous when I yeah. prepare. I'm like, okay, if I'm if I'm not calling you by the end of the day, I'm like lost and someone needs to come get me. And she or I'll say stuff like that, like, well, if I don't do this, I could die. You know? <laughs> and she'll be like, she kind of makes her nervous, like, what? But it's like, but then I have to explain to her, like, well, the because I'm aware of how easy it is to die out here, I'm the least likely person that's yeah, going to die. She's thinking sure. in her mind, why can't you just go to the mall? Yeah, and exactly. just like walk yeah. around there. <laughs> but There's it's a because, lot of interesting things. <laughs> right. But it's because you're hyper aware of the threat of, sure. of death sure. or injury yeah. that you actually avoid it. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. And, well, and like, what a great... So self-awareness is Planning that, there. right? Yeah. Like, babe, if you, if you don't hear from me by 6 p.m., yeah. something's wrong. Because I'm going to make sure that I can call you. Like, that's just good. It's good planning. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, right. I just said I got into the superstitions. Where right. That's where people, if they're going to die in Arizona, it's going to be in the superstitions. Like, right. That's a, lots of people have died there. Mm. So I'm recognizing that, like, if it's 117 degrees outside, I'm not going to last more than two days. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're, you're going to need help really, quickly. Right. right. And so I'm like, hey, here's where I'm going. I'm taking this trail. I'm going to be mm. here. If I'm not back by this time, my car will be parked here. And right. And I make it easy. Well, and I, like that also holds like you to a level of accountability, too, because you you plan where you're going. Like, you know where you're going. You've had to look at like a map or at least the trail, like a drawing of the trail. Mm. Um, and if you decide that you like want to get really adventurous and wander off, you know where you're at. Yeah, right. Like you have landmarks and yeah. I don't know. It just, that sounds like a great way to prepare. Yeah. And people are naturally adventurous and, and curious too as well, which is a one of the, probably another statistic that you have down there is people's curiosity leads them to, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> Killed the cat. Yeah. Yeah. Leads into dire yeah. straits and dire situations. Yeah. Well. You, yeah. you tend to be a lot more careful over the, after, you know, over the years that the tendency is not to be careful because in the world we live in, help is always right around the corner. Mm. You always have your phone. You're always within, you know, 30 minutes of a hospital. Mm. You always have someone else to help you. And so you sort of forget that, um, or you, you, you get so used to living in that sphere of safety that when you're out in the wilderness, you don't think about injury, like a little, like I can, you know, thorn could hit my eyeball the wrong way. And that just, and I'm 10 miles down the trail, and yeah. that becomes a really, really big deal. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. you sprain your ankle, and that's not that big of a deal. I mean, most of us have at least sprained our ankle one time at some yeah. point. Mm-hmm. But that becomes a huge, huge life-threatening de- uh, you know, ordeal mm-hmm. when you're tw- 12 miles down the trail. Right. Um, so it's like, it's the little thing. So let me keep going. Yes. So um, the most, so let's talk about non-fatal injuries. Okay. So they, in this study, they categorize illnesses and injuries. So illnesses would be things like dehydration and heat stroke. Okay. Mm. Anaphylaxis due to insect stings. Um, altitude sickness. Mm. Hypothermia, mm. which is a huge one that I cover in the course. And then I sort of put all these together. Cardiac distress, mm. diabetic exacerbation mm. issues, asthma, dizziness, shortness of breath, and vomiting, which could all be from being out of shape. Maybe not the diabetic, but the rest would be asthma, dizziness. A lot of those are made worse when you're 
sure out of shape right so those are the illnesses um the non-fatal illnesses the most common ones that makes sense like and a lot of those sounds like symptoms of altitude sickness exactly yeah yeah and a lot of wilderness areas that's that's the big one because when you're higher altitude you dehydrate faster and then for the first maybe like two days you're in a higher altitude i mean even like when i go up camping and i go from two thousand feet to six thousand feet or seven thousand feet it's not like that big of a climb but it's enough but the injury so so one of the biggest things is lacerations Mm -hmm. from using a knife or axe okay here's the biggest one probably biggest cause of injuries in the wilderness is falling down while you're walking (laughs) that is the most okay so the most common activity that injuries happened like the the category right was walking just falling walking and wow. the number one category of what you were doing when you got injured was is like a, or the cause was a short fall oh my god so gosh. that incru- so sprains abrasions fractures dislocations okay. all those other okay <laughs> okay so, so you're the reason i'm laughing is because this is how i'm going to die i know it like i'm you're just gonna i'm just i will tie your shoes i will be the, the that will be me i will like step on the ra- the rock wrong break my ankle and i'm i'm so what did cl- you say the wolves will come yeah. matthew at that point yes the wolves, the wolves will, will come. yeah come uh, in. they can smell it finish me off. i'm so away. i'm so clumsy it, uh, I, i'm not aw- I mean. yeah i'm not aware of my surroundings whatsoever i was at a shop yesterday i was you know uh, receiving a shipment and in inventory <laughs> and there was a, a wooden pallet and i decided to walk on it not realizing my foot was going through the middle of uh-huh. the two pieces of woods and the I, I just fell. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's one thing. I, okay, and I'm around a bunch of blue collar guys, so I have to go, no, I'm all right, I'm all right, yeah. all right. Yeah, you have to just yeah. dust off your yeah. broken hip. And- yeah. I'm dying on the inside. want to cry. Yeah. yeah. There's like splinters sticking out of your yeah. calf. Yeah. But in the wilderness, I guess it would be a little different. Yeah. So this statistic said that in this study, so, so remember, it's eight different national parks over three years. Okay. 70% of all non-fatal events were related to musculoskeletal or soft tissue injury. Okay. Mm. And most of those were lower leg injuries. So knees wow. or ankles. That makes sense. Yeah. So tripping, blood. falling. Tripping yeah. and falling a short distance right. was the number one. And so what I always say, it's so weird because you think wilderness survival, we tend to go to all these dramatic examples but it's so mundane it's so everyday it's so basic it's boring as slipping down and falling and busting your head open and like dying right it's just like but here's what i say <laughs> i say like how many times in your daily life do you just lose balance and fall down so nick just gave us one but yeah. i mean how often does something like that happen? yeah i know i mean that's probably I mean, robin when's the last time you slipped and fell down yeah okay. well, this morning huh? no yeah. no <laughs> wrong person okay wait slipped and fell down when's the last time you were just walking around town and slipped and And fell down your house going to work um uh my i'm so six probably months ago i was (laughs) leaving my uh, mother-in-law's house after dropping off or my son or something and it had been raining okay and she had like the pavement gets really really slick uh-huh. and i totally biffed it. like i biffed it and i just landed right i did this like interesting not like a full splits but like one leg went straight out and the other one kind of did like went under me and then my butt like yeah. did my, yeah 
And so if you actually <laughs> so that look was up, a slip and fall. Right. If but you actually look up slip and fall, uh, like on like TikTok or something like that, everybody's got those those cameras outside of their doors now, like uh-huh. the ring. You know how many oh, people yeah. have fallen just going outside of the door? There's like uh, like there's like a, a whole library of people just leaving going to their car. <laughs> you know that actually proves <laughs> your point though, Matthew, because most of the time when I watch those videos. And they it's, are hilarious. Yeah. They, you can't tell what happened. The people are tripping over their own feet or like yeah, there's yeah. no obstacle that's like right. should be causing there's them to stupid trip. Stupid light fixtures in the ground yeah. and stuff like that. It's just <laughs> like, or they hear something and they turn too quickly and then they lose well, balance. This, yeah. this goes back down to uh, what you're saying is that we've acclimated into an environment where we're so used to safety, right? I mean, right. they're 30 minutes outside of a hospital um, it's against the law to deny somebody of water here. That's right. Uh, or at least a major, you know, uh, institution. Businesses, to, yeah, businesses can't deny water like if in Phoenix. Yeah. Actually, I'm not sure if it's every single city. I don't know. I like just Phoenix, but I kind of like that law, you know, Um, and um, well, it should just fall under love your neighbor. Yeah, it just, you know, I don't know why we have to coerce anybody. You should just do it anyway. But you know what I mean? Um, But uh, that's besides the point. Um, Yeah. So we trip and fall very, very seldomly because of that. But we don't realize how much is out there and what is actually, you know, not caring that we're walking over it. It's just going to take you down. So the point I make is that like, it, it may be it's almost a, such a basic point to make. It may seem almost too simple, but, you know, you rarely ever slip and fall. You said six months ago. I mean, yeah. m- most and of it was us raining. on our daily life yeah. do not just slip and fall very often. We're adults. Okay. I'm an exception to the rule. But, Sometimes. But I would say like, yes. But when you're out in the wilderness and you're out in the woods, I mean, I can think of times I've slipped and fell. Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean totally even being careful even right. being like walking slow to watching my step and you either hit a rock like step on a rock that's like kind of shaky or you got gravel or you're just mud hole something yeah. just and you just slip and fall so it's little things like that that it's like carry a walking stick mm. yeah I mean, it's really simple but like how many people on the whole trail have you ever seen with a walking right staff? my grandpa used to carry one like I think he they're would, so cool yeah he i actually think i still have it it's, it was like a metal pipe like a hollow pipe that he put a wooden, yeah. And but my grandpa, w- r- like you, remind me a lot of him. Like he was very much an outdoorsman. Yeah. So he he taught me he taught me how to walk in the wilderness. Like when I remember being like five six years old, and he was like, "Put your heel down, like step step where I step. Right. Put your heel down first. Like mm-hmm. take your time. This isn't a race. It's better to get there in one piece rather right. than like exactly you know." And um and he did. He always had a walking stick. But to your point. I can't remember another soul, like ever seeing another soul with one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you really have to relearn everything. There's like a right way and a wrong way to do everything, even walking, mm. even like <laughs> what to wear, what, sure. you know, how, what to take with you. I mean, just it's a, it's like a different world. I think when people get thrown into the wilderness unexpectedly and end up dying, it's because they got thrown into a world that they're just not used to. Yeah, right. You know, even though it may only be a 30 minute, I mean, you may, you can see the superstitions from my house almost. Right. If you like, mm-hmm. you just walk, you know, get the right angle and you can see them, but it's such a different, it's like being on Mars right, when you're actually planet. out there right. in, in the heat of the summer all by yourself and something happens quickly. It's like, you just don't really realize how mm. um, extreme it can be, I guess you could say. Right. Well, and like, I know you were bringing up those examples from last year, but there was one who literally just died. Um, and I don't know all the details, but it was in that Scottsdale area. Her horse came back without her. 
Hmm. And um, the ne- they like did a search for her. I think the next morning. I don't know all the details, but they found her body. Oh um, wow! And she was older. I think maybe in her sixties. Mm-hmm. It's but yeah. Anyway, to your point, you you can be really close and still be really far away. Right. Um, so the most dangerous injuries in the wilderness usually happen from slipping and falling. Okay. Uh, lacerations from you know, sharp object use, knives and axes, whatever, insect bites, uh, and burns. Mm. But usually what people were doing is hiking, walking, running. I think running's trail. People who trail run, if you do that, more power <laughs> to you, but you are psycho. <laughs> Matthew would recommend against it. <laughs> Caution well, maybe you. like where I'm from in Texas, there's like no ups and downs at all. That's like one flat. thing, right? But if you're in Arizona and you're a trail runner, like you are, you're just, I see people doing it's it risk, all the time. It's yeah. risky. It is. I mean, well, our friend, I don't want to call her name out. Okay. Maybe she'll never listen to this, but <laughs> she busted her knee wide open, just Ooh. literally just running on the trail, just running like jogging. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of goes back to like how often do you? F- like you could run around every day for a year and not ever even almost slip on the sidewalk. Right. But when you're out on like the gravel, it's just a different mm. story. Right. So she had to get like carried away. Oh, wow. That's like, oh like EMS called, like yeah. carried away. So things Rescue. Could've, things could have went pretty south. Yeah. From running quick. from yeah. something so simple. Okay. Uh, so snow play and s- sledding was a big one. Ooh, I can see that. And we, ha- we have another friend who just totally ate it sledding. Oh, really? Um, you would think he learned his lesson, but a couple of times since I've known him, yes. in like the two years I've known him, both winters, <laughs> wow. he's like went sledding on super hard packed snow and Ooh. then like rock climbing, things like that. I mean, some things are obviously dangerous. Right. More risk. You know, like most rock climbers that get injured are like beginners who are sort of overestimating their Ability. capabilities or yeah. they don't really know the dangers. But a lot of professional rock climbers die as well. Sure. It's pretty common. So there's obviously things with inherent risk, but. Mo- what I like to get across the big point with wilderness survival is it's not just that one guy that mm. it happened to. It's like it could be anybody. And also, you don't you only you don't only hear about like deaths and injuries. Most mm. of the time you don't even hear about injuries. Right. But no one ever talks about the times where like you almost died. Right. Because right. I have a lot of stories that were people tell me even the other day. OK. One of our friends at the church picnic. Yes. Told mm. me that him and his. um girlfriend I don't, I don't know i don't know if they're married okay because i've only known them <laughs> him for a and short his, time. his lady friend yes his lady friend <laughs> i don't feel bad not knowing mm-hmm. um but they were out in the desert and got lost in their vehicle wow and luckily he had water he knew enough to have water um this was out i think in the superstitions okay we're really close in like bulldog so i'm never going out there now yeah you've mentioned it eight (laughs) times and three different stories that i don't want to be involved in (laughs) it's beautiful i know i've seen them they're very beautiful (laughs) um so he gets lost and takes a wrong turn in their jeep and then is pretty much like planning to stay the night but then at the end of the night finds his way Oh my gosh. And it's little things like that where it's like people getting lost. And I've, we've had a vehicle breakdown in the desert. Well, one was a flat tire Uh and we had a spare and one was an actual vehicle breakdown where we barely had any service. And it wasn't until like a year later that it even dawned on me, like how dangerous that was. Wow. Because I was still new to the desert. Sure. So it was like me and my friend Josh, like 
we blew a like radiator hose or something. Oh my gosh, where were you guys? I don't even know. It was oh. it was like just somewhere out in the yeah. day. It didn't really matter where we were because we wouldn't be, have been able to walk back. Where you were, yeah. And there wasn't going to be anyone else coming out there either. Right. Um, but luckily we had like two bars of, you know, like service. barely got service and were able was able to call a mechanic friend who like really saved like save the day came wow. out with the, the just the hose we needed and like this like tool to like get off the hose clamps and it was like it was fancy but it's little wow. things like that praise where it, god for that yeah so. i mean seriously it's little things like that where it's like death is so close in the wilderness and i don't think i ever really appreciated that you know until you like have these close calls oh my gosh can you t- would you mind sharing like some so um i don't know how much you want to share but matthew is like lived in the woods guys so not only is he like very learned like does he spend a a vast majority of his time studying this stuff like books real books Mm. this guy textbooks um you lived in the wilderness yeah can you share yes okay yeah and when i started studying like getting into the literature really heavy it was really helpful that i had the the experience behind me because so so you did it before you started reading the books. I had a few books, but I didn't have like real scientific literature and okay. historical accounts and okay. all the different stuff like that. I had like basic, you know, bookstore survival books. Okay. You had like a novice sprinkling of books. Yeah. And okay. a lot of videos and a lot of like, you know, ideas. But yeah. So when I was 19 years old, I wanted to be a mountain man okay. and go live like a mountain hermit. So that or like something. okay, I yeah, so when I get you the say appeal ma- to that too as well. Mountain man, that's what you mean. You mean like a guy that looks like Heidi's grandfather that lives in the yeah. like tall woods like the Swiss Alps and doesn't come down. Yes. Okay. And I was crazy <laughs> for thinking that would even be remotely like fun or <laughs> exciting. It actually once you go do it, you'll find that living in the wilderness kind of sucks. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. But there's no jack in a box. I mean, there, let's you know? put it like, again, you, you already painted a good perspective for us though. You were 19. I was 19. You were yes. 19. And I had all kinds of weird, like conspiracy theory beliefs. Now they're all coming true. Uh-huh. Um, but at the time <laughs> it was still considered conspiracy theories, you know, uh, is and, this before you were a Christian brother? I can't remember. So I grew up Christian. Okay. Like in a Christian house. In a Christian home. I wasn't really a Christian, but I would have said I was. Okay. And, so this was like we still believed in like the Left Behind series version of events. Oh yeah, a rapture. You know that like I grew up my whole life hearing we're living in the end times. Yeah, okay. which for those listening, if you believe that, if you're a Christian, you believe that that's fine. For sure. But now that I have a better understanding of the Bible, I don't tend to that. not believe that yeah. at all. Um, but anyway, so you know, Mark at of the that Beast, point all in this. Time, yeah. Yes. So a lot of the reason I got into survival is not the reason I'm still into it. Um, but a lot of it was like, you know, we, I mean, part of it was a love for just like the outdoors and being out there. Nature. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't love that? But. Oh, I know a lot of people that don't love it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, but like you had a natural interest in it, a draw to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted to go live in the woods. So. (laughs) You did. And behold, that's what I went and did. And so I was working at Sonic saving every single paycheck and buying like guns, ammo, expensive backpack. Like, (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, I had so much gear. I couldn't even carry it with me when I got to Montana and long story. I mean, a series of mistakes and different things. We ended up, um, 
staying in this dude's hunting camper. Like it didn't, I got dropped off in like January, which is like the dumbest thing anyone <laughs> could ever do. Now, mind you, I'm from Texas, Kay. East Texas, uh-huh. like the Southeast Texas where it doesn't even snow. Right. Like it snows on average, like once every 10 years okay. for a day. Like it's a night. magical miracle occurrence right. when it snows. So I know absolutely nothing about the Rocky Mountains, about surviving the great outdoors. I think I do. I think, oh my goodness. <laughs> I thought I was like, you know, an expert. Like, oh yeah, we're good to go. I mean, I mean, by the grace of God and the fact that I did have like enough Some... equipment to fuel a small army, I was able to get through it you know alive but um so yeah. what part of montana were you in so we were in the bitterroot range <coughs> oh is that like east west that is western montana western, the okay. border between idaho and montana okay. at one point is the bitterroot range okay so like half of the bitterroot is in idaho idaho and half is in okay montana and so we ended up uh, by the time the snow melted we ended up like really just kind of being like out there uh so around like May. So you got there in January. So I'm sorry. Like I just have I I know that I've heard this story. We've been friends for a long time. It was a crazy series of God's providence. I was like, this is the first time I'm hearing it. So just I'm, like I'm like zoned in. I'm wrapping like, my brain around the fact that you were already there for like four months when the snow melted. So we weren't living in the woods at that point. Okay. Okay. Um, this crazy coincidence, like. God just had his hand on me because out of all the dumb mistakes I've made in my whole life, this was probably (laughs) the biggest. And it ended up being to my benefit. I mean, look where I am now. I teach wilderness survival. All of your mistakes, like a good wilderness survival expert, what makes me an expert is I've done it the wrong way. Every way you possibly can. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah. I pretty much just know and lived what not through to do. It. Like you've lived through it by yeah. God's grace. To so share with I us. end up basically getting dropped off in the wilderness. It starts snowing. A couple days go by. I'm not going to get into all the details. Yeah. Because part of it's just almost like to save myself the embarrassment. But <laughs> I end up walking back to town in unbroken, like knee deep snow. Mm-hmm. And this dude, Dave. <laughs> pulls up Dave. he's like 60 something years Stable old okay. gun collector of course california native but moved to montana of course and is just bored <laughs> driving down a remote montana road. dirt road covered in knee-deep snow <laughs> in his big flatbed diesel and he rolls down the windows like hey what do y'all do you know and i i mean obviously he knew we were out there because there was an like there was no tracks in the snow right. except for where the direction we were coming from. Sure. So we get picked up by this dude and he Dave, Dave and he's like, "Oh, I have a hunting camper at back at my buddy's house." So he goes, picks up this hunting camper and drops it off back at the, the trailhead that we got dropped off at. Oh my gosh. It was perfect. So what he's in got the world? So we're keeping ourselves warm. It got at one point got down to like 14 below. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we were keeping ourselves warm with like propane stove like a three burner stove that we just had on full blast it's amazing we didn't die from carbon monoxide poisoning because we didn't even know what that was at that time you didn't even know that you needed to vent yeah and like it was just all good like it ended up working out and we um so we were like at that point one foot in the 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 town and one foot out so we could walk to town it was like a couple hours you know of walking down this and then we'd like walk back but so we were up there pretty much like doing fires we did like shelters we did like Built like practicing building this stuff. Right. Yeah. We had a good taste into what wilderness life was like without having to be like totally dependent on it. Right. 
Got it. Right. So we had like canned food and, you know. See, everybody needs a Dave. Oh, my God. Just to pick you up on the side of the road. God, like, slowed you down. Like, he he was like, okay, we're going to do this in a stepwise fashion so you don't die. It was psycho, what I was doing. Right. It was crazy. It was laughable. Like, you know that dude who, like, died in Alaska that everyone always. Yeah. Yeah. Like, basically, I did what he did, except for he died doing it. Right. (laughs) And God spared you. Yeah. God gave you Dave. Pretty much. (laughs) Right. So, um, Yeah. So that was, I mean, the Bitterroot Mountains is like the superstition of Montana. Sure. It's like the place you would not want to go. If you look at it on a map, <laughs> it's like uh, just from the sky, you can clearly see the only area in the, it's, <laughs> in like the whole area with, with snow is the top of the Bitterroot. Like they're mm. steep, they're rugged, uh-huh. they're rocky, they're extremely remote. I mean, everything you don't want in a nice wilderness <laughs> trip. But that's why we picked them. Right. I mean, I, I was like, what's the furthest away I could go? from human civilization in the lower 48 and Yellowstone was like the top, but I knew that it was like a big tourist place. So I was like, okay, <laughs> well, what about this area? And like the Bitterroot mountains and the surrounding area in like central Idaho, mm. like North central Idaho is like the most remote area. So tell us what kind of animals were in that region. We did not run into too many animals. Okay. I know because we ended up leaving in like June. Okay. And that was like, I think before a lot of the rattlesnakes came out. Ooh. That Apparently is not like even... rattlesnakes was like, a, I didn't know this about the Rockies because I'm from Texas. Yeah. I thought rattlesnakes were like desert, but the Rocky Mountains apparently are like loaded with rattlesnakes. Oh, you know what? Okay. True Grit. John right. John Wayne, mm-hmm. right? The And even in the remake with... um. Je- what is it jeff bridges yes um but like this the whole have you seen it matthew true grit mm. it takes place like and it was filmed <laughs> i'm not a movie yeah, I, I know John you're Wayne. not um it was filmed in that area of like colorado like south southwestern colorado mm. um and there's the pit of rattlesnakes mm-hmm. that's like that what's the name of the girl i, I feel like i'm shaming my it's father anyway um she gets bit by a rattlesnake uh, I remember thinking for the first time like that was odd because we see think of them a- around here. Mm-hmm. There are a lot. There are a lot yeah. of them in the desert. Yeah. So people have them in their backyard right now. I uh-huh. mean, I mean, they're intrusive. But yeah. But in the high desert, it does get really cold at night too. Even in the low desert, it does. Can yeah, it? a lot of people don't realize that. Like how cold it can get. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Any. Yeah. Snakes. So that it just goes to show you. Like my brain goes to grizzly bears. Right. Bob, like Bob, yeah, cats, I mean, this, that kind of thing. No, the cold was the main problem. Okay, it's always the cold. The most dangerous thing, things in the wilderness are the sun, the rain, the sleet, and the snow, mm. and, and the insects. Okay, mm. those are the five things, you know, and the wind. Of okay, mm. that's pretty much it. This is the elements that are really dangerous, right? The animals. I mean, you're not so worried about. If you, if I mean, bears are, are obviously a concern, and we're a concern on the trip. We didn't see any or any any. any what sign. kind of bears were in that region? So I guess they had grizzly Grizzlies. bears. Yeah, they had big grizzly bears Ooh. in that region, and cougars, which are not too much, and they had wolves as well. But wolves are like skittish around people. Yeah, they're not really. They don't actually kill a lot of people, especially in the North American right. continent. So you're saying right. that Liam Neeson movie was not accurate? No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
Okay, yeah. I can't, I've like, I can't watch survival movies yeah. anymore. They're just ruined for me. They're <laughs> yeah. always like way more dramatic. I'm like, it's not that dramatic out there. <laughs> it just like, it's just cold and it sucks. Like that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's just cold. <laughs> you add some like cello, like yeah. some minor chords, you know, like a soundtrack, it all, it all becomes a lot more dramatic. Yeah, yeah. everything's dramatic. Like alone is yeah. always like way more dramatic. Right. Just because of the music. <laughs> the like peripheral shot, like that s- silhouette of the person like, Looking off into the distance, will I ever be saved? Yeah, right. You know? um, okay, yeah. Dude, so you were there for six months. Right. That's so cool. Yeah, and about two of those months was just straight out of a tent. Okay. And we ended up getting move, moving over to a more remote area. We got mm-hmm. dropped off by some yeah. people we had made friends with at that point. Not, we started going to like a church and everything. Oh, neat. Yeah. But it, not Dave. Dave didn't drop you off no okay we got dropped off from some people at church and then we were gonna go get dropped off like on the other side of the bitter root which is in the idaho side which mm. is like super remote um the pass <sighs> to get over there was still covered in snow which mm. something else i didn't know from living in texas is that like those passes don't get cleared until like june july sometimes july and like there's still tons of snow on it like almost all year long yeah. and um once you pass that certain elevation Right. Like yeah. it was like, I think the peaks were like 12,000 feet. Ooh. Wow. Cold. Cold. <laughs> yeah. So and, that is so cool. But so like that, that circumstance, I guess, like is my stereotypical right. imagining of wilderness survival. Um, but you've also been in like other. Oh, yeah. So I, we, I didn't even really have any good survival episodes out there. But in Florida, I had a survival, almost survival episode where I got lost. Ooh. In wow. like the Everglades, like well, just north of the Everglades. Okay. So it was think like jungle. Yeah. So like palm trees and pine trees growing together, Ugh. like a jungle. Hmm. And it, we're talking like a flooded swampy, s- swampy. Not in the sense that you're gonna. Well, you'll probably see some alligators. You're not really gonna see alligators out there. Like, okay, you're not dodging alligators, but you're walking through like ankle deep water. Oh yeah, in some parts of it. You, so that's not an environment where you'd find alligators? Well, yes, but alligators like deep water. Oh, okay. So so you're not just going to like stumble across an alligator in the woods probably unless you see a really deep pool of water. Right. And we actually did see a couple out there. That's why I hesitated. <sighs> but it's not like you're going to like. Be wading through alligators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to be like wading through. Maybe in some parts of the Everglades. Worst nightmare. Worst nightmare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alligators are. They kind of get me. A yeah, little bit. they get something you, about them. Yeah, get you they're going. monsters, man. <clears throat> I've seen those 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 teeth, those jaws. When I like like oh, look yeah. at old Steve Irwin stuff, and I can't believe he's even getting close. And no, he to that. he jumps on crocodiles, I know. which are a big, oh yeah, yeah, way big difference than an alligator. And he's, then what took him out was a stingray. I just yeah. find that ironic, kind of. Well, thing. Not, like, I mean, just I think it's to your point, like little threat big threat like we kind of think of the big mean like grizzly bears being the thing you don't want to encounter in the woods when rolling your ankle wrong and like falling down an embankment is actually what's more dangerous and it's so funny because when we were prepping for this like i thought panic like psychologically speaking right what is it that like you're gonna go through when you're in that circumstance cognitively you know and my my like instinct was to think panic but um we haven't really gotten to this part yet but um as it turns out it's that's really not yes it's really <laughs> psychologically uncommon. speaking the yeah. the stuff that really puts you at higher risk occurs prior to you even entering right. into mm-hmm. the wilderness right 
Right. Um, and like you're not typically going to find yourself panicking to the point that where you would become extra disoriented. Um, like, I mean, maybe you could panic to like run crazy. Like only when you, when you get lost. Yeah. Usually when you get lost is the only time you're ever going to have anything that resembles panic. Okay. In a wilderness survival situation. Uh, Most of the time. Okay. Um, and, and even that shouldn't last long if you try to control it and calm down. But in disaster situations in general, psychologically speaking, um, it's, really been found that panic is pretty rare how interesting so even like not just wilderness survival but just disasters in general usually panic happens when like people are all trying to like get out of somewhere really quick okay so like someone starts shooting at a movie theater and everyone has to bail or there's a fire and everyone has to bail panic is usually like whenever you have a certain amount of time to get somewhere and you're not gonna make it i see like when like it's really time sensitive you're saying time sensitive right. i see like there's like clearly i need to make f- for an exit reg- like exit being metaphorical or literal like right. in your movie theater example um and i need to do that as quickly as possible and there are 200 other people in this right whereas yeah. in wilderness survival there's usually not a um well there may be a sense of urgency but it's not going to be like in the next two minutes urgent right because usually what kills you in the wilderness is like heat stroke hypothermia Mm. you know a mixture of sleep deprivation and all of those sort of physical things that Mm. do mess with your ability to like process like think right oh absolutely right so i think yeah i think that was an interesting thing that you were saying before when we were talking about this like a lot of the psychological consequences that you're suffering in a survival situation out in the wilderness are resulting from physical Mm -hmm. like origin points, right? You've been injured or you're not, you you don't have any water, you're not sleeping, um, which all messes, messes with you. Right. So the idea is that a lot of people, when they talk about the psychology of wilderness survival, it's like, well, a lot of people mention like having a good attitude and things like that. But what I always point out is that you, it's really hard to have a good attitude when you are super hungry, you're thirsty, you're being bitten by insects, you're dehydrated, you're cold, all of those things. That's what makes you have a bad attitude. And simply saying have a good positive <laughs> right. mental attitude isn't going to go very far. Yeah. So the little engine that could uh, mentality doesn't really bring it a survival i think i can it can. I, think I can yeah it yeah. can some for some like in some i mean some circumstances right i mean there is like the, the temptation to just give up and become hopeless and but this learning survival is is like well how do i avoid all of those physical you know pain points that are going to cause me like well if i bring food and i bring enough water and I make sure to bring enough warm clothing and a sleeping pad that if I can sit down and comfortably, right. that sure is going to help. And like a bug net or something like that. Right. That's going to make it to where all of those mental, you know, physical things aren't a problem. And that helps you mentally because you're comfortable. Right. Right, right. So it's really a lot of it's about being comfortable that in the makes, wilderness. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Oh, so that's like a great bridge too, um, into like. We talked how do you know like how do we look at this through a Christian lens, mm-hmm. um, and you brought up a scripture from Proverbs that I want you to share. Um, but we were like, we what are the sins right that 
put people into bad situations in the wilderness, like that would would end up with you in a survival right. situation. We've kind of touched on it, but well, like um, we've mentioned this before. Um, before we started recording, uh, we started talking about some of the videos that we were watching in wilderness survival. Oh yeah, and uh, the narrators like. One man, something to prove, and he de- like he had something to prove to himself. So he just went out there in the mountains and caught himself in a disaster. He had no clue what he was doing. And the first thing that I said, I can't remember if it was me or you, or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, we looked at the TV and go, "Well, that was pride, kind of thing." Right? And arrogance. Uh, yeah, arrogance. Nah, he was an older man, probably midlife crisis. Oh. <laughs> you well. know, and, but he was pride nonetheless and he had something to prove and then caught himself in a situation where um right he had to uh so overestimating your ability right like putting yourself on a trail that you shouldn't be hiking because you're not physically capable of hiking it Mm -hmm. right i mean you are never gonna find me rock climbing ever good Mm -hmm. Ever. Um, but I certainly wouldn't start at like the diamond head rock, like sheer cliff. I'd be on the bunny slope version yeah. of that thing, you know? Um, so, but arrogance, right? Yeah, arrogance. And I'm sure he was, uh, you know, sounded his mind as far as not panic or anything like that. I mean, otherwise, you wouldn't have uh, gone on th- out there, but it was delusional. You know, right. uh, why he even entered uh, that situation in the first place. Right. So, so self deception. Oh, yeah. Is. If I could say one root cause, if I can only have one root cause uh, that leads to not only wilderness survival situations, but disaster situations, it would be self-deception or what we would call cognitive dissonance would be the psychological term. What is cognitive dissonance, Matthew? So cognitive dissonance occurs when there is an acknowledged um, probability of a disaster occurring and yet your actions do not reflect that acknowledged reality. Okay. So you, so you know, and you say that this could happen and yet you act as if it couldn't happen. So self-deception. So it would be like a feeling of personal invulnerability. So you're, you're nothing can touch me. Nothing can happen bad to me. That's what happens to other people. Yeah. Um, and that across the line is ultimately what we're talking about. Yeah. And it's, I mean, self-deception by its very nature has to be a sin. Right. You know, you don't right. really think about it like that mm-hmm. in, in our case, but when you know something, it's kind of like not wearing your seatbelt. Yeah, it's avoidance. Right, right. Turning your eye blindly. Right. <clears throat> for the sake of whatever reason. I mean, for, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Right, mostly comfort. comfort so, for yeah. Comfort. yeah, a lot. So you can acknowledge that there's something dangerous could happen, and yet you'll act as if you're safe from you're it. You're safe, and a lot of times that's because of the inconvenience of preparing for that disaster. Mm. Ooh, yeah. So a lot of studies have been done on this psychologically surrounding disasters. Like, for example, most people will not prepare for a fire in their home. Ooh. Mm. Even if they've been warned that the fire danger is high, um, well, there's two different types of fires. There's like a house fire that you started, and the, how would you prepare for that? Well, you would make sure that your smoke alarms are working. You would make <clears> sure you <throat> have a fire extinguisher, and the date on that thing is good. Right. And that it's, it's somewhere accessible, and mm. everyone knows where it's at, and it's second nature to go grab it. Things like that. Sure. Mm. But then there's like house fires, like you live in a... F- 
region prone to wildfires sure and knowing your evacuation plan and but it was been it was shown that like when a fire alarm goes off in a building like a big building something like 17 percent of the people are respond to it and the rest don't <gasps> what wow. yeah. oh my gosh i had no idea it, so one of the things with disasters is what they found now this sort of is a you know statistic could be applied different depending on what we're talking about but usually the public's perception of a threat is much lower than the actual danger of that threat oh so if you were to say like what are the chances of this building burning down most people like you know if you have experts like fire engineers that are saying well there's actually a high chance because of the way this and this was wired that there could be some sort of fire you know whatever it is sure um, usually the public's perception of that danger is like super low oh my on God. the ones that have been like, you know, oh, surveyed and, and sure, actually tested sure. the research that's been done. This is what's like been indicated. It's human nature to be like, that couldn't happen to, to minimize me. it, to minimize it. To, risk, to, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think that goes with almost anything. Oh yeah. Like, bury my head in the sand. If I like, if I bury my head in the sand, then I'm not actually like handcuffed to the railroad track anymore. There's no longer a train barreling down on me. I'm just, I don't see it. So it's not there. Right. And like that, that's what I meant when I said avoidance. It's this like willful, intentional ignorance because acknowledging it is scary. Right. Or inconvenience. Right. Or it right. makes us uncomfortable. And so way. one of the examples actually in the book I have um, called survival psychology, by John Leach. Cool. He talks about two different instances where a dam broke and flooded like a whole town and killed countless people. Oh my gosh. And so in both cases, there was um, an acknowledged threat that like one of the dams, even when they were building it, there was people saying, this is structurally unsound. And like, we're totally expecting that this thing could possibly break. It's like a known thing. Uh -uh. And everyone in the city below, it's sort of like a known thing that like, there's a possibility of it breaking and collapsing. Yeah. But, but people don't want what, like, what would it cost? Like, what would it cost for you to actually prepare for that disaster? You would have to uproot your whole family and right. move. And so what people actually end up doing in general is they will, first of all, uh, start trying to find um, information that supports their decision. Oh, to not do anything to, about to it. To not do anything. So it supports the wrong decision, like the decision right. that they're deceiving yeah. themselves. We saw that in uh, Katrina. Uh, Hurricane Katrina. I remember. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of people did go, you know, uh, but there were some uh, people that said, "Nope, this is all I have." Um, and well, uh, and then there were some people that couldn't get out. Yeah, but. yeah. But um, um, I remember them doing reports on people who uh, owned restaurants mm -hmm. still serving food in the middle of like, hey, like just in, in a couple hours, nothing's going to be here <laughs> anymore, and. Uh, you know, New Orleans is already underwater. You're about to be more yeah. underwater. Right. <laughs> and uh, um, I remember just questioning. I go, you know, you know what's coming. This, this thing. And it's going to happen instantly. You know, um, what would create you to stay there? And, of course, there's the two categories. People that can't and then people this, that could but just didn't go. This concept is so fascinating to me because, like, I have so much trouble, like, we can apply it to anything like people that live in tornado alley. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, like I've never understood, I've just never understood that as a psychological process. Yes. Does it cost money to move? Yes. 
like I'm not saying it would be easy. The land is, but cheap it's too. doable. So <laughs> from like a vet, I think for most people it would be doable, even if you had to work your whole life. Well, and and, and so everything. Uh, why do you stay? Yeah. You know, and everything starts with the worldview as yes. well, right? I mean, I you know when you're 19, you you were you said that uh, you were into so many conspiracy theories and uh, or if you want to call them that. Uh, anti-government maybe you just wanted to move out into the woods it started with how you were viewing the world that dictated your actions right christ says that everything starts in the heart right Right. and it's what comes out of you that defiles you not everything that you're thinking about the world is going to defile you but you know what i mean right it start that has an ontological beginning and that is yeah a root and that starts to dictate our actions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations that, man, if maybe if I just thought differently about my surroundings, that I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Right um, and I think that the uh, the Christian has to have a balance uh, of, of, you know, the realization of our environment and also the immaterial realities of logic and order and, and that's truth. Gr- I mean, yeah. so that's a great, like, Britt, what's your, um, the scripture from Proverbs that you you that you really relate to when you think of all this matthew yeah so um what chapter was it it was 20 uh, proverbs 21 yeah proverbs 21 verse 31 21 31 i'll go ahead and read it straight from the word of god here straight from the source so it says the horse is made ready for the day of battle but victory belongs to the lord yeah that's and that's showing so his, good. you know, that you're showing our, well, you, you, you defined it, uh, really well before we were recording. You're like, this shows man's responsibility, but God's sovereignty. Right. And the outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah where a, they meet. Right. That's a great verse to demonstrate the balance between man's responsibility and God's mm-hmm. providence and, and it, control. And, it, and that verse really gets deeper too, as well. The Hebrew word there for victory is actually, uh, the Hebrew word, well, I, f- I forgot how to pronounce it, but it, it means deliverance or salvation right. too as well. And we see in the Bible that the Israelites would get arrogant when they would start, you know, creating things and, and, and prospering and even conquering their enemies. Once they forgot that it was the Lord that delivered right. their enemies into their hands, because mm-hmm. that was always mentioned, right? It's the Lord that delivers, it's the Lord that delivers, that it's the Lord. Uh, this is a it really is talking about a state of humility while not forgoing your responsibility. Right. Finding a balance between really it's the Lord's outcome and here's my responsibility to that because I don't know what's going to happen. So the temptation when you have these and the big one I've been on lately, I'll just be a hundred percent honest is like the great reset. Okay. And the whole COVID-19 pandemic and how basically it, it sped up the, um, you know, the globalists mm-hmm. wanting globalists. The, the global, the old globalists yeah. that want to control everything. And again, this is not even conspiracy theory at this point. I mean, no. you, I just learned about it in one of my social uh, sociology yeah. classes. I mean, just learning about like, like there is, I mean, who cannot at this point, not acknowledge that there is some sort of threat or possibility of disaster right, right. surrounding this world economic forum right. and all of this globalization of all of these different, you know, institutions mm-hmm. and or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Money, like, yeah. Build a bird. Um, and so, so the temptation is to be like, well, I don't, I just don't have time to think about that. And what can I even do about it? Like God's in control. But what the Bible says is the horse is made ready for the day of battle, 
but victory belongs to the Lord. So we're not trusting in our own ability. No. We're not trusting in our own strong tower. The, the, what we're trusting in is the rock of Christ, you know, and his salvation and his safety. But at the same time, we have a responsibility to act upon the knowledge that we do have in whatever capacity we can. Right. right. It's because the Lord is sovereign why we prepare. Right. Kind of yeah. thing, if, if that makes sense, you know, and it does. Again, we are not Gnostics. We don't just believe in the immaterial world and everything Im- immaterial is good and everything material is bad. We have to have a balance of both, of understanding the totality of God's creation and how sovereign he is uh, above it all, material mm-hmm. and immaterial. And I always say this in every situation, and I think it helps in every situation to know and to have a balance between both or to have the full the fullest knowledge that you can yeah, um, and what you're given uh, in um, your environment and God's governance around that. So So. I think like ignoring information makes us fools. Yes. So (laughs) don't be a fool. I'm trying to fight my parents on this for a long time. Don't be a fool. Like we, how many times like in the Proverbs is that word used fool? Ooh. A lot. So and it's times. an orthodox meaning of ignorance. Right. Stupid. Like um, you're mindless kind of thing. It's not a pejorative like, hey, fool, uh, no, uh, or no. you're being a fool, or a term in endear- uh, of endearment like, hey, fool. But uh, You're not being wise. It, That's it, like, it really is talking about mindlessness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're back to, you're going back to your story about the dam. Did the people rebuild the city the first time it broke and then it flooded again? Is that what the end of that story was? No, I think it's that they had significant warning. Oh, oh, about it and happening. They, yeah, about it happening and the, the the fact that there was a possibility, like a threat of it happening to begin with. I see. And yet people didn't react to the warning or, all, or even igno- or like acknowledge the did threat. It, did it break? So here's, let me see if I can find it. I can probably, okay. yeah, it absolutely broke. Okay. There was, I think, two stories of dams and there were stories of like, volcano eruptions of people getting like hey this volcano's smoking it's (laughs) probably time to leave your house now so i have a couple stories here okay we'll start with this one in 1963 the vaunt dam in paia valley northern italy i know i'm pronouncing those wrong that's okay in italy okay suffered an explosive overflow of over 200 million cubic meters of water and mud following the collapse of one side of the 2,000 meter Mount Tok into the dam basin. Mm. Ooh. So the mountain collapsed into the dam basin. Right. And that caused the water to overrun the dam. Wow. So it says the ensuing waves sluiced through eight villages, destroying 1,189 lives. Oh. The dam had been a threat from the beginning of its construction in 1956 through to its completion in 1960. Doubts were expressed about the safety of the dam by experts before it was even completed. In fact, the supply lake was not filled for two years following completion of the dam because of safety fears. Oh, my gosh. The main problem was recognized by experts and local villagers alike was the unsoundness of Mount Talk itself. Landslides, cave-ins, and crackings were commonplace. Everyone knew it, that it was likely to collapse. They were aware of the threat, but psychologically chose to do nothing. The local carpenter, Rodolfo Barzan, had worked on the dam in its early days. The tech, he's, This is a quote from him. Okay. The technicians knew that part of Mount Talk would fall into the lake. They were waiting for it from one day to the next. For this reason, they often shone lights at the sheer face of Mount Talk. Whoa. Why? 
shown lights at it. Yeah, so I don't know if they... Was that like a way to try and like dislodge the mountain? No, no. I think they were just like kind of being aware of it. Right. Mm. And I don't don't know anything. So I don't know if it's saying that they knew that it was going to crash the dam, but they they knew there was danger. They were already like aware of the fact. Gotcha. Mm. Gotcha. I'm going to skip this guy's first name because (laughs) I'm not even going to (laughs) try. Trevisian was the local doctor. I, and this is him quoting a quote from him. I thought the, the dam had burst. We were expecting it. Several big landslides had fallen into the lake from Mount Talk. Every so often, the ground at the Longarone shook. Only a fortnight ago, the ground shook. It is almost suicide by default or murder by complacency. Yeah. Wow. Murder by complacency, which is a good punk band name. Yeah. If I were to ever start a punk rock band, it would be. Uh, the, that is genius. The Nick <laughs> Thomas murder Family Singers, that's going to be your band name. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see this a lot. I mean, even in our atmosphere today, we can understand what's going on politically. And uh, like I was just talking to one of my family members and I, I was mentioning, you know, China um, doing deals, um, you know, uh, or upping their core, uh, coal fire and everything. And I go, that's not that's not good. Um, and uh, she goes, why are you reading that for? And I go, I, I need to, un- I'm going to inherit this world when you're done. Right. <laughs> and uh, I need to understand how to, uh, you know, how to respond to these things. Same thing. With that. Well, it's, and I mean, it just shine again, like borrowing their metaphor. It shines light on how easy, like, and how tempting it is to just decide you're not going to bother yourself with mm-hmm. it. I mean, and here we get to do that because we don't have the disaster on our doorstep. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you were going to read another one. Yeah. Matt. Yeah. This one's super just interesting. So in May, 1902, the volcano Mount Pele erupted on the French colonial Island of Martinique Mm, in the Caribbean. Am I saying that right? Yeah. The volcano gave many indications that it had become a threat to the island, and it was already known that Mount Pele, I don't, I don't know how to say that. I think well, it's just Pele, right? Pele, yeah. okay, Mount Pele was an active volcano. Um, so the month previously, it began emitting steam and volcanic ash, Ooh. and major rumblings occurred. Yeah. So a few, it says a few people began to express concern, and they were mocked in the local newspaper. What? Mocked? How do you get mocked in the local newspaper, by the way? What is the headline? Like, people think this mountain's going to explode. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. yeah. So basically, <laughs> this is, and this is characteristic of disasters. What people do okay. is they just deny that it could happen <laughs> because they don't want to deal with that reality. They don't want it to happen, because so it can't. By happen. saying, like, yes, this can happen means, like, we have to bail. Off this island. Right. Where do we go? With our whole family. This is where we live. Like, we're not going to do that. Look, mm. look, buddy, chill out. The volcano is not going to explode. Just relax. <laughs> okay. We're all going to get through this together. That's, I mean, that's what people say. Right. Um, we're all learning this about together. this got me yeah. scared about like getting cancer or something like that or heart disease because I'm like, <laughs> because I started realizing that like, the number one thing people do when it comes to disasters is like deny the fact that it could ever happen. Right. And like ignore signs the warnings and like mm-hmm. personal invulnerability so i i you know i'm like i have to like balance my what i believe to be true and like what i can actually do about it sure mm-hmm. yeah but um so i'll continue so um 
In the following days, sulfur fumes began to pervade the island, growing denser with each day. The local people were forced to wear wet handkerchiefs, and there, and there are reports of horses dying from suffocation. What? A proportion of the island's population left, but many did not, still refusing to see the threat and ridiculing those who had gone. On May 8th, which is scary because it's my birthday, the volcano erupted, smothering and burning to death 30,000 people. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. I don't even remember ever hearing about this that, oh, growing I, up. Yeah. Um, I remember watching, like, a little infographic video about volcanoes, and I, I that's the only reason, like, I had heard of that eruption, but I didn't remember the death toll being 30,000. That's that, wild. Oh, my gosh. But that's sort of like the the Katrina. Yeah. Thing. Yes, Is yeah. it like there's a lot of disasters that have like a warning phase where yeah. people are actually warned beforehand. Like, please yeah. get out. Right. right. Um, yeah. Nature gives us a warning <laughs> before it comes. I mean, we can we can see all the conditions. I mean, it's like it, the hurricane wasn't spontaneous, you know. Right. We right. knew it was coming. I mean, and in that situation, like, those storms are more, like, if we're going to rate natural, like, weather occurrences or, di- like, mm-hmm. disasters, like, in terms of spontaneity, mm-hmm. a hurricane develops, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're going to get maybe less warning if you don't have the equipment to mm. pick it up, right? Like, historically. Sure. For, but... A volcano that is smoke, like if your horse dies, if your horse drops dead, you're already in a prop. Like, how can you laugh at somebody saying that there's a prop? Like, your horse just died mm. from suffocation because of the sulfur, like disproportionate, like sulfur fumes, the toxic right. sulfur. I don't know. Well, it reminds me of uh, Gila <laughs> Bend, in which is in Arizona. Yeah. Um, Gila Bend had flash flooding. Was it last summer from all the rain we got? Mm-hmm. And a few people lost their lives and a lot of people's homes were destroyed or at least temporarily unlivable. And I'm sure they got all kinds of crazy damage. Sure. But when you look up, like when you go on Google maps and look up Gila Bend, I can look right at it and tell you that's in a flood zone. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like the whole city was built in a flood zone. Like I, t- so I took a design course. Yeah. Permaculture design. Explain, because no one listens. No one knows. So permaculture design is a design sort of science um, surrounding like sustainable homesteading and design. Mm. Most people haven't heard of it because it was developed by hippies, like sort of new age sort of type characters. Okay. Um, And people that want to live off the land. The philosophy behind it's kind of weird. Well, it's really weird. It's definitely not Christian. Okay. So, but the philosophy aside, it's like really legit okay um anyway so, so what do you, so the way you like describe this to me would be like you you structure your like yard right well there's a thing you could look up called a hundred year flood <laughs> uh-huh so it's a fema has this map of, you can pretty much get one for anywhere as far as i know yeah hmm. it's called a hundred year flood zone and that is to say that it's likely that within 100 years time There'll be this f- area will have a flood that goes this high oh. so like the highest the flood waters ever get is the hundred year flood zone and you can you can literally look it up okay. and i don't have to look up a hundred year flood zone map to look at gila bend and be like that, that's a flood, a flood zone, zone. <laughs> right, <laughs> i don't right. have to know it you know i can look right at it and be like well right 
There it is. There it is. So part of like, I, I love this because as a Christian, how do you like integrate that into your daily? Well, when you're buying house, like when you're buying property, mm-hmm. when you're thinking about like a place to build roots, maybe look up that FEMA document yeah. and take a look at like the flood zone. Yeah. It takes like in. five minutes to be like, does this, can I build a house here? Right. And obviously the builders knew that. It's like, what are you doing? Right. I know. You know that this is not. It's, you know, it's like people building cities over like a land, like an old yeah. landfill or something right. and, or like knowing that there's like some poison in the water. Right. Or and like, that happens all the oh time. Oh my gosh. All the time. So many examples of that. Or like when they built the Amityville house over that mm. Indian burial ground, you know, <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> Why? Anyway, no, um, I, I kid, but yeah, it, this, it's not. This phenomenon that you're describing occurs in everyday life and like not just in the context of disasters. So it shouldn't be surprising to me. But I think it is when you think about the idea of like breathing in. You guys know what sulfur smells like? Mm -hmm. Like bad gas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So. Like and, and then if your horse drops dead, well, you're looking at a volcano. I mean, in the it's distance, sizzling. It's, it's smoking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how much more do you need? What other red flag, neon sign, like danger evacuation? But but again, this is what it always goes back to is yeah. like thinking about like, wow, how dumb, yeah, how dumb those people were, or something <laughs> like that. But that's the danger. I'm right. not saying they were dumb. No, I'm no, no. saying it's easy to look back and wonder how they were that. Silly. Well, like when that Instagrammer died, everyone's like, oh, some stupid girls going out into the wilderness. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, yes, she made some mistakes. Yes, she could have probably lived even if she had called the authorities right away. Right. But like it's easy to look at people like that and be like, I'd never do that. Yeah. But I'd, like but you if you're listening to this, you would. Yes, you would. Yes. You would. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. You, right. You absolutely Please don't would. be so arrogant, like to believe that you wouldn't. Right. I just taught on this concept, too, as well. Dr. White was going uh, through church history yeah. um, these last couple Sundays. And so we were doing a Bible study from the overflow of what Dr. White preached. And it's easy to laugh at the way they thought about baptism back in the day for it's cold water, warm water, um, and, and uh, the kind of order and liturgy that they, um, that they employed. Uh, but every particular context has, you know, its environment of what created that thought in the first place. Sure. And to say that we wouldn't be there doing that exact same thing is actually pretty dumb. Okay. <laughs> arrogant. Yeah. So like really pull it back. It's like yeah. scripture this is the story. This is Israel. Mm-hmm. Israel, like, we are the dumbest bunch of, like, throughout history. Yeah, why would you, like, why would you lose faith in God when you just saw... Uh, the sea part. The sea part. When you, like, you literally just lived right. through the exodus. But immediately, Moses isn't gone 10 minutes before they're right. asking Aaron to build the calf, right? Like, right. this is our story. Right. Scripture explains it. Like, the, um, somebody, like, said the other day, like... They haven't found another worldview that like so accurately captures our lived experience as Christianity. And that is so true. Mm-hmm. We love making that mistake. Mm-hmm. We love immediately forgetting God mm-hmm. and like remembering our Mm. glory like how we led through the like we were the ones that made it through the I mean, wilderness the, right? uh, book right. of the, the book of ecclesiastes i love it um it's one of my favorite books um you know it says in uh, e- uh, e- 
excuse me, Ecclesiastes uh, 8, uh, verse 11 says, when the sentence, excuse me, uh, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Meaning we roll the dice all the time. And the reason why we push the limits is because maybe we're not going to suffer the consequences right away. Mm. And we think, eh, I can get away with it a little longer. A like little we longer. think we have time. Yeah, a little longer. And that creates our own cognitive dissonance in this. And sometimes it doesn't happen for another 20 or 30 years. And we're living fine. And so when somebody says, you know what, that dam's about to break. Well, I've already lived here 30 years and it hasn't broke so far. I've been hearing about this since I was a kid and sure. it's never happened. Right. That, I can like, see how that can develop. Old sense of security. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've fallen into that trap in other situations in my life and, oh, yeah. and things like that. So, okay. So I can empathize, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't listen to the warnings, right? right? You know, we have to actually think objectively outside of our own perception or comfort, which is very hard for the human condition to do. Very hard for the human condition to do. Yeah. So. And a lot of us, we, we honestly don't have a lot of time or we think we don't have a lot of time to inconvenience ourselves with anything that goes out of our like normal daily schedule right right like any preparatory activities right yeah um, i mean yeah yeah this episode has taken an interesting turn we're, like, we're all over the place <laughs> I um i like when, i love that matthew brought this idea of like dis disaster psychology when we were prepping for this episode and i hadn't even considered it and i think it's so fascinating mm. um like in as we're talking and I'm recognizing really like we just behave the way we always do. We per, we minimize problems. We look for evidence to support what we want to believe is true. And we discount evidence that contradicts it. Mm. Real, like basic psych concepts like bias, bias concepts, biases, mm. biases, biases. I don't know. Um, And like it seems like, oh, like why? how could we wouldn't imagine ourselves acting like that? Like if there is a smoking mountain and horses dying from like toxic sulfur in the air, like we will leave. Well, yeah, we'll, we will we'll even, leave. we will avoid people and topics that make us uncomfortable all the time. Yeah. That is going to like, when we don't want to address something and we just want to ignore it, we don't want to act like it doesn't exist. We will, we will stay away from, like, that's what unbelievers will do. Oh yes. They oh, will I stay away from their family because they don't want to hear the gospel anymore. Yeah, They're right. sick of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, we, but we all, but not, let's be honest. Yeah. We all probably do it to yeah. some extent yeah. with oh, different, we'll different things. We'll yeah. even create a virtue around it and justify it and act like, no, this is the right. point. You know, we create our own scripture from that kind of dissonance, if you will. Romans 1 says that the wrath of God is revealed unto all men in their unrighteous deeds, meaning clearly it's perceived that God condemns evil, but yet we just continue to do it anyway. Kind mm. of thing. It's no difference out in the wilderness, right? I'm used to being 30 minutes outside of a hospital, so if I fall down and twist my ankle, <laughs> for some reason I'm comfortable because I'm used to being in an environment that would make me comfortable, uh -huh. and I don't realize the dire straits that I could be in. Uh, in this uh, wow. in this realm, yeah. and if you think about that in eternity, and if the wrath of God is revealed unto all men, then that means it testifies to a day of judgment. Ah, eh, but that's that's coming later. I don't need to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think like we haven't like mentioned it by name, but like if you know what's on everybody's minds right now is what's going on with you in Ukraine, right? Um, yeah. And talking about disaster psychology. 
like the people there, right? The civilians there right now are literally living this, right? right? And how many of them knew how to evacuate their apartment buildings, like in case of a missile threat, Mm. right? Right. Um, And like you were pointing out earlier, Matt, panic. And I can't. I imagine myself in a circumstance where not like I'm on the top floor of an apartment building mm. and now like I can't use an elevator or stairs, but I've got to somehow get myself and my kid down. Right. Like because mm. a missile just blew my building in half. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. And mm. we're so removed from it. We like we're direct. We're connected to it in this really abstract way through the media, but it's not at our doorstep. So. Yeah we fall into that same kind of like lulled sense of security. Yeah. It almost doesn't feel real to us because right. that's all happening over there. Over there. Mm. I mean, at least yeah. for me, even though I'm like totally follow me all too. of that and I'm like, and my really, heart hurts. For yeah. It. And I mean, mm-hmm. if there's anyone who, I mean, not to say I understand war, but I've just studied right. death yeah. a right. lot Yeah, and suffering. And like, I know I, to some degree, you know what some of those people have to be going through right. of being hungry, being cold, all the, I mean, Two percent of Ukraine's population has left. Imagine just the type of sur- what I just even what I teach wilderness survival skills right. that actually apply to just walking long distances with kids right. in exposed cold. cold conditions without food without right without food. They just turned off the food and water in yeah. around some town. I mean, obviously they're right. bombing them and shelling them, and, and I nobody mean, can, nobody wants to bring supplies into war territory. Right. Mm. And mm. a lot of what I teach is very applicable to that even if it's not wilderness can you give us some examples yeah Yeah. so i love talking about this because a lot of people immediately when i say wilderness survival you know hollywood has really influenced us Mm. on what we even think about when we hear that right but um a lot of people immediately think like oh living in the woods or like that one in a million chance of being out there but like surviving a plane crash Mm. right But a lot of what I teach, I take it back to the human body and to the science. Yeah. So the science of clothing, how to protect the human body from cold environments. Ooh, yeah. You know, what is the science behind what happens to your body when it gets cold or dehydration, which can happen in the heat or in the cold? What does it do to your body? And how, like, what are some practical tips to avoid dehydration? Um, Ooh, tell it, tell it. Can you give? Oh, it? you want you want a yeah, few? I, I want a little. I want a little freebie. Can you? Give okay, us a I'll little... give you. I'll give you a little freebie. Okay. So one of the interesting things about dehydration in the summer is that it's been shown that um, humans tend to hydrate at meal periods. Mm. So whenever you are um, on an empty stomach, you don't always really feel thirsty, even though you are dehydrated. Uh, okay. And whenever you start eating food, it like really stimulates that urge to drink. Oh, yeah. So if you're missing meals, like you would be in a wilderness survival situation. Right. You don't think to drink as much. You don't even feel thirsty until longer. Oh. And most people rehydrate at meal periods. So if you've ever been out on the trail in the superstitions or somewhere like that, where you don't have any food, but you have two gallons of water with you, you... At a certain point, you'll almost be like nauseous drinking it. Mm. Even and you won't even be thirsty. So you have to keep drinking when you're not thirsty, even if you feel kind of nau- nauseous. Or God forbid, your water gets hot. Mm. Ooh, yeah, gross. And mm. then it's re- really nauseating. Um, but one of the most interesting things about dehydration is that it will occur when water is readily available. Really. So we call that voluntary dehydration. Okay. So ninety percent of 
survival when it comes to water is not how to make water safe to drink. That's relatively easy. Oh, how interesting. And like where to find it and stuff. Like you can figure that out pretty easy. Okay. Um, but so that's 10%. The other 90% is learning how to stay hydrated when you already have water. Okay. So it's funny that that's why they call it. It's voluntary dehydration wow. because you are doing it voluntarily. Right. You're dehydrating yourself um, because, and the reason for that is because you don't actually feel thirsty until about 2% dehydration. Okay. So that's to say that if you weigh a hundred pounds and you've lost two pounds of water oh, from oh, your body. Okay. Okay. Mm. Or if I, let's say you're 200 pounds, that means you've lost four, four pounds, pounds mm. four pounds of water from your body before wow. you even feel thirsty at all. Whoa. But it could be up to 4%. So it could be like, what is that? Eight pounds? Yeah. Eight pounds. I mean, how much is eight pounds of water? That's a lot of, it's a decent amount. It's a baby. Yeah. It's a baby. <laughs> so you won't even usually feel thirsty. Um, you could you could get a headache before you even feel thirsty or have symptoms definitely of fatigue and exhaustion. Um, and you're you can't walk as far when you're dehydrated. You can't um, muscle stuff, muscle endurance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. A lot of muscle muscular endurance. So how to stay hydrated. Um, so one of the things is looking at your urine color. Okay. And this applies to anyone sitting right now because most people are probably dehydrated. Listen to this. Y'all need to be drinking that water. Mm. <laughs> Drink your water. Um, so your urine color is one of the most reliable indicators of dehydration. Okay. The very first indicator is going to be a dark urine color. Okay. You want your urine to be clear or very pale yellow. Okay. Which we all already have a chart in our, you, you could look at a chart online and see, but we all have a chart in our head. We know what that means. Yeah. Uh, right. So when it's dark, drink water and you're not thirsty. Okay. Um, so it's really simple That's, stuff yeah, that, like that. Like just knowing that your body is, even if you don't feel thirsty, right? right? Your body's telling you, you are. Yeah. And another thing, especially for dudes, but for anybody is men in particular tend to dehydrate themselves during work periods mm. because Almost any dude working in his garage on a car, whatever he's doing, he's going to be so focused that he's going to just wait until he's done with that task. Mm. And so when you're hiking, that what that looks like is, oh, my water's in my backpack. I have to take my backpack off, put it on the ground, take my water out and drink. So I'm just going to wait till the next time we stop. Right. Which rather by, than drink. Right. But if you're hiking for two hours in 100 degree weather you're going to um you need, you're not going to stay ahead of the curve if you do that. Gotcha. So it's little things like that and there's a list of probably you know four or five more. Sure. Um little things like that of, you know, how you're understanding how much water your body needs, which mm. it could need you could need like 3 gallons per day in 117 degree heat. Right. I mean, you could drink 3 gallons like no problems a bigger person. Sure. Um so it's like how much water your body needs or I teach about like heat stroke because we talked about people dying from heat stroke. Right. So dehydration is big. But what I also teach is um, how to avoid salt depletion. Okay. Or understanding what exertional heat stroke is. So exertional heat stroke happens to people who are young and in shape. Mm. Okay. And totally physically fit. But they exert themselves um, and overheat mixed with dehydration so much that their body temperature goes skyrockets and they basically just pass out. Wow. So you usually think of heat stroke being like a disease more of, not a disease, a, a illness, more of the um, elderly or infants. Sure. But exertional heat stroke is what kills younger people. Okay. So understanding the difference between those and how to um, 
you know, how to prevent things like salt depletion, electrolyte depletion from your body. So those are things that will just will literally help you when you're walking down the street. Like you could be doing anything. Right. You could be like watching your kid's soccer game on the in the bleachers. Sure. And that's gonna help you stay stay hydrated and stay comfortable. Right. And um so how to dress properly. Um you'd be surprised how much there is to know about dressing properly. You know, there's been there's like books written in the sixties on like the science of clo- clothing and the engineering that goes behind all the I mean the math and science and it's just like Oh, cool. Complex topic. That people have spent time researching and playing with, right? Developing, like, the best clothes. And, I mean, like, I immediately think of hypothermia, you know, because, like, if you're dressed properly, like, you can you can survive crazy temperatures, right? Like. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Arctic expeditions for, you know, months and months and months at a time where the the average low temperature is 30 below. Wow. That's just the average. Yeah. The, you know, one, one, um, North pole expedition, the Steger expedition, if I'm remembering right, uh, they experienced temperatures like 70 below zero. Wow. And we're out for months, um, with just sled dogs, like, you know, traveling across the Arctic, I'm so glad that God has not called me to do something like that. And people have died from the cold literally in almost 100, like, well, a hundred, at least 100 degrees, but I mean, more than 100 degrees higher than that. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, right, right, right. Like, people could die from the cold at 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. And yet people were able to make it at 70 below. That's wow. crazy. Oh my god! So, what's the coldest te- you've ever been in, Matthew? So the coldest was probably like fourteen below. Okay, what about you, Nick? Never that low, but five. So, yeah. um, my I was I was eighteen, seventeen or 18, I was eighteen. The first time I visited my friend who lives in, um, well, she lives a couple hours to the west of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, and I went up in January mm. and the day that I flew home with the wind chill, it was minus 52 degrees wow. Celsius. Um, and my, my friend, she's so amazing. Like she had so, so much clothing for me. Like she, you know, I was this desert rat essentially. Um, and she like fully Eskimo'd me up, but all I had to do that day was walk from her house to the truck that was already like heated right and then when we got to the airport from the truck into the airport and i swear to you you can feel cold like that in the center of your bones i like you breathe i didn't want to breathe because it the moisture in your you can feel it get cold like i'm not kidding you i'm sure there are people out there that know what i'm talking about oh yeah it is i i can't no no that's what I think about that is no. Um, but they live in it. Like they live in temperatures like that just fine because they're prepared. Yeah. She also never, like in the wintertime, she would never leave her house without enough blankets and like supplies that if she were to even get a flat tire, she could survive. Right. Um, but she has to think like that because people literally freeze to death. Yeah. Because they run off the road. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, people die from a blizzard. Yeah. And they just get stuck in the snow in their car and they can't make it one night 
Yeah. That's common. Oh my gosh. Yeah, common. I mean, in in uh, was it last winter? That big Texas storm, uh, winter storm. Oh, I don't remember. So that hit my neck of the woods where I'm from, Conroe, Texas. There was an 11 year old boy in Conroe, Texas, that died in his bed. Oh. People and the elderly, unfortunately, are some of the most at risk for power outages and winter storms because usually elderly people are a little bit more prone to heat or cold illnesses. Okay. Um and carbon monoxide poisoning becomes a, a issue because people are using, you know, propane, propane and different types of gas gas heaters that they're not used to really using or thinking about. Um but yeah, I mean, how many people died just in Montgomery County? I uh he d- so because the power went out, there was no heat in his house. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, tons of people died in Texas and many other people were suffering for days. Right. Just through the cold. And that is in the in a town. Right. You know what I mean? And that kind of <laughs> hit close to home for me. I mean, literally, because that's where I'm from and knowing that I, you know, I'm one of the few people who knows how to prepare for those types of things and what to actually do to help people. I'm in Arizona. Stuck right. In Arizona. Um, so that was brutal, but, but yeah, I mean, natural disasters can happen, can be that simple. Right. Um, like as simple as losing power for way longer than you thought in the middle of a like storm. Yeah. And that's in Texas. I mean, right. Most, I, I grew up, there was people who didn't even own a pair of jeans. Like they only wore shorts. Mm. Right. And I, you know, most of us have a pair of blue jeans as the warmest leg gear we have. Right. And a jack, a a cotton, a cotton jacket from Walmart that costs 20 bucks right. is about all we have for uh, most of us have for cold weather stuff. So, I mean, when something like that happens, it can really catch you unprepared. Right. But wilderness survival and disaster disasters in general, a lot of times are that mundane and it's simple. Just like, so like what we were saying at the beginning of our talk, like the psychology involved here is really about preparedness mm-hmm. and recognizing that like, even though you can tremendously increase like your resiliency, like you can decrease risk and vulnerability by being prepared. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Right. Like you can yeah. still be me and trip on your own feet yeah. when you're walking on a well, like well laid trail. Um, yeah, those yeah. happen. People, disasters do happen completely unexpectedly where it was totally out of your control. But usually that's the, um, you know, the rarity. Right. It's more it's a lot closer to you than you realize. Yeah. Most survival situations in the wilderness are 100% preventable. Yeah. So I, that's one of the big things my course focuses on is prevention. Right. Because survival in a way is almost like practicing medicine. Yeah. In a weird way, but it's like preventative medicine. Yeah. So it's like, so that you don't get sick. Right. So it's not like, how do you patch up a cut? Although that may be part of it, but how do you just not cut yourself? Right. How do you avoid the cut altogether? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of it's to the, the prevention, and that's why I talk a lot about dehydration and preventing heat stroke and mm. preventing hypothermia and dressing properly, because if you can learn all that stuff, you sort of, survival pretty much just becomes like a medical issue. Sure, you of, can set yourself up for success. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Man, I need to know how to dress out in the out in the woods. 
Socks. Yeah. So check out my survival course, yes. LegacyWildernessAcademy.com. That's right. Everybody check it I out. I was just getting ready to plug that because I learned so much today. I know. And how vulnerable I am now. <laughs> that's so funny that you, that that's what you say because I like never use fear as a marketing tactic. Mm. I'm always like... No, it, but, but you make funny. me think. It's yeah. funny that you, but you're, you feel vulnerable. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So awareness, right? Like you, pro- information promotes awareness. And what you became aware of, Nick, yes. is that you lack preparedness. Yes. For I'm a city slicker like, like no other. I'm just well, a and that's city the point. kid. I, like, I, I like. You should be just as prepared as somebody that grew up their whole life on a ranch. Right. right. Because it's that close. Right. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, is I didn't. Anyone who knows me knows I grew up inside playing Star Wars Battlefront <laughs> on my PS2 and playing Star Fox. Okay. Like, I did not grow up outdoorsy Outside. whatsoever. I, no. Uh, but at 19, man. That were, was it. Yeah. I threw myself out there. <laughs> and I'm still, I mean, like, you know, you can catch me getting soft. I'll take a pillow out into the uh-huh. camping and I'll take, you know, like every, all the comforts of home now. <laughs> Because I've I'm done I'm done with the suffering, but um, I don't think it was the first time that we went camping together, but it was maybe it was the engagement trip, but you it was the first time that I saw you sleep in your tarp like you, so Matthew creates for or I don't know how, if you do this like regularly, but like you created like a cocoon. That's kind of what it felt like to me, under a tarp. That's where you like where you slept. Not in a tent, but I don't know. I just that's because I was too broke to buy a tent at that time. <laughs> no way. Let me think. It was just because you were so like awesome, resourceful. Yeah, and, yeah. like <laughs> you just wanted to see how you could handle your tarp, and <laughs> I didn't know that. But, so, yeah. uh, real quick, uh, what's some of the uh, uh, you know the courses that they can take if they ever seek you out uh, for your uh, for your advice for your teaching? Yeah, so I have yeah. it broke down into a few little courses on, uh, I have one on fire making. Those are like the cheaper ones are like 20 bucks, 15 bucks. Yeah. Um, tying knots, mm. dressing for the cold. That one's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have my master class, Fundamentals of Wilderness Survival, mm-hmm. which is going for 198 right now. And that covers like everything I've ever made on wilderness survival. Mm-hmm. So how to navigate over land, how to read a map and compass, mm-hmm. how to tell if water is safe to drink, mm. dealing with the major water contaminants, mm. um, how to uh, build a shelter if you get lost, tying knots, how to make rope from like natural materials, um, how to use a knife, how to choose a knife and all of the main knife skills you'll need, how to use like a handsaw, like how to do some of the basic carving. Wow. Um, it covers a lot. Yeah. You can go, you can check it out and you see everything. It covers a lot of science, what we would call human environmental physiology. So oh, that's okay. the physiology is the study of the human body. And then environmental physiology is mm. how the human body relates to extreme environments. Wow. Okay. Right. Oh, that's so cool. Wow, that, that is so awesome. And where can they find you one more time? Legacywildernessacademy.com. Mm-hmm. Or you can check out legacy wilderness academy on youtube and see a lot of cool edible plant videos um if you're brand new to wild food go check out my video on hackberries Mm. which grows most throughout the u.s most of all the eastern u.s into the southwest um that's a really cool video on like getting into like how to feed your family with wild food that is so cool wow i know and i've seen your videos i've been following it for uh, for a long time 
uh, and then uh, have talked to you a little bit about them uh, too as well. And uh, they're all great. You will be well if you if you were blown away by this conversation yeah. and learned a lot like I was. Just wait till you see him yeah, in just action. Wait till you see it in action. Yeah. Uh, and he's a wonderful teacher. Matthew, thanks for coming by. Oh, oh my thank gosh. you so much. Yeah. For, we're going to have you back. I don't know what we're going to do. I would love to continue yeah. to do things oh, yeah. with you. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll Whether it be you. making videos, recording another podcast, or just having right. you as a Yeah, cameo, or maybe we whatever. can do a mashup where you guys come out with me. I would love that. I was oh my just goodness. thinking that. <laughs> and Nick. I I teach you guys how to camp. Oh my gosh. Yes. You want to do it? I would so Well, me and Robin have been camping we, together. Yes, yes. So I mean, I'm not a complete novice, but Nick might be. That's okay. I have a cot for you. You can <laughs> you can borrow. It's a big cot. <laughs> so Go ahead, donate at a couchdivided.com for, <laughs> for everything that I might need. <laughs> for Nick's survival gear, and the, we would, yeah. I, yeah, we can we can bring the camera I and record to, a lot of it. If you sing me a lullaby, I'll go out he, there. <laughs> Nick's face is telling me he's, he doesn't need, know. No, I'm I'm going to be embarrassed. I have no nothing. I stink at camping. <laughs> I just went up north with the church you know in the man camp and was thankful that we had cabins and heaters uh in there. <laughs> right a bed um, a mattress i did go fishing good and i was pretty good at it okay all yeah, right that's about it <laughs> <laughs> i love this idea okay so you heard it first here um in the in the works at some point in the future we will join legacy wilderness academy yes and uh become matthew's pupils in the real oh wilderness. this is gonna be so much fun i know i can't wait the couch will turn into a tent I know. Uh, at that time. <laughs> well, you're right. Mm. We, well, right. we could film, oh, we, we could record an, our second episode out there. We could. Oh, my gosh. How that. cool yeah. would that be? Yeah, let's do that. Like a okay, campfire. Oh, that would be so cool. Uh, that would be, be so cool. So okay, great. so, and this thing is portable. So, yes, we, yes. Did, we don't need the internet. Okay. So, yeah. you just heard it, like, you heard it here. Like, these are, this is a like a live brainstorming session. We can't wait. It's going to be great. Right. Well, thank you, Matthew, uh, again, for coming by. Uh, and as, uh, as always, um, just take heart uh, because Christ has overcome the world. Love you guys. Thanks. Love you.